Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Katherine Smith, a 1982 graduate from the U.S. Air Force Academy. In this episode, you'll hear why Kate made the decision to be part of one of the first classes of women to attend the academy, her goals upon entering the academy and how they changed and evolved over her four years in attendance, and why she ultimately chose to leave the military and transition into a law career that eventually took her full circle back to serving veterans as an advocate. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Hi there. Can you start off by telling everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Sure. Um, I'm uh, Kate Smith. I grew up in Atchison, Kansas, a small town in Atchison. I graduated from the United States Air Force Academy uh, with the class of 1982. Nice. Nice. Can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? Um, Today, uh, I'm mostly a mother of a 19-year-old college student. I work part-time with a veterans organization um, advocating for issues that uh, some veterans uh, want. And uh, I'm a lawyer by education after the academy. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And so, so let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college. Uh, what made you choose a service academy? And what made you specifically choose the United States Air Force Academy? I grew up in a small town, uh, working class parents. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money for college at any given time. Uh, three of my uh, four siblings, we all would have been in college at the same time. And so I was looking for ways to go to school that wouldn't cost my parents a lot of money. Um, The academy only opened up to women um, in 1976. So that was when I was a sophomore in high school. So there was a lot of press about it. So uh, I looked into it. It seemed like a great option. Um, My dad had served in the military during the Korean War, and I had cousins and uncles that had served, but I wasn't from what people would think of as a military family. So I was looking for a place to go, and I chose Air Force because I thought it would uh, fit what I wanted to do, which was more engineering and science types of things. Now, at that time, you're from this little rural town. So was going to a federal service academy something that was unique in that little town of yours? Well, you know, it's really surprisingly, it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a a guy in the class of 79 uh, from my high school, another man from the class of 80. And then one of my high school classmates uh, started at the Naval Academy. So um, once people knew about the service academies, people looked at it as an option to get out of small town Atchison, Kansas. Gotcha. Yeah. And what about women? Were there a lot of women that went to the academies from your little school? Uh, As best as I know, it was just my high school classmate um, and me um, before or since. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) Um, It it is unusual. But for example, one of my high school classmates that didn't go to the academy, her son grew up in the same town and he graduated um, about 10 or 15 years ago. So it's, it's a small world. Wow. Huh. That's, that is crazy. So, so back then though, you know, was there any reservation or hesitation on your part for being a woman applying to an academy? Because it was still pretty early on for women going to the Federal Service Academy. So my class was the third class of women to graduate. And I don't think we knew what we didn't know. We knew it would be tough and we knew it was rare, but I didn't really anticipate all of the challenges. I I just had no idea. And I wasn't... I wasn't prepared for the sexism. Mm. Okay, we're definitely going to get into that. Um, what What was the atmosphere like 
when you applied though, like around you was, was the school and everybody supportive, your family, friends, everyone supportive of that decision? Well, it's, it's funny. I, I talked to my guidance counselor uh, then. I talked with her a couple of years ago and she had some reservations about me going because I was sort of free spirited and was sort of undisciplined, but I was really smart. So she thought the military academy would be good for me. Um, my father didn't really quite understand what going to an academy was. I mean, at one point, I think he thought I was just enlisting in the Air Force and that they would pay for my college. So it wasn't until he visited that first year for Parents Weekend that he really understood what it was all about. Mm. But the town was very supportive, uh, very encouraging. Uh, they put our pictures in the paper. They talked about it. The uh, older, uh, older guys from my high school, they came back and talked during like uh, their fall break and they were really supportive and helpful um, with me going and their parents were very helpful and supportive to my parents. Hmm. Well, that's good to hear. So that must have made things a little bit easier. It did. And we were close enough that we could drive back on, on Thanksgiving and Christmas and things. And I always rode back with one of them. So did you go and visit the Air Force Academy before you applied? I did not. We didn't have the means for me to do that. So the first time I saw the Academy was when my cousin dropped me off at the base of the ramp um, on that day, uh, June 26, 1978. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Okay. I can't wait to hear about that. But I have a few more questions. Um, did you did you even entertain any of the other academies or was it just strictly the Air Force Academy? I don't think I thought about the others. I didn't know about the Coast Guard Academy and I, I didn't know about the Merchant Marine Academy and my classmate was going to Navy and I thought the Army would be too hard. Mm, okay, okay. So did you apply to other schools as well, or were you really honed in on the Air Force Academy? Oh, I had applied uh, to other schools. I had an ROTC scholarship, and I had a, a scholarship to the University of Kansas, but it was only tuition, and it wouldn't have paid for, you know, room and board and incidentals. So mm -hmm. once I was in the academy, um, you know, accepted. I didn't think of other schools and I didn't know that with sort of my grades and test scores, I probably could have gone to any one of the Ivy Leagues or any other, you know, top 20 colleges, but I didn't know. Mm, yeah, interesting. So, uh, so it sounds like you were a really good student. It sounds like you had all, you checked all the boxes for getting into the academy. Um, was, was getting in pretty smooth for you then? It really was, um, remarkably so. Um, I got a nomination from um, my member of the House of Representatives. I got a letter from my senator, one of them that said, we see you already have a nomination, so I'm not going to nominate you. Um, I got my uh, acceptance letter in late January or February. Um, the interview with the congressperson, um, it was a panel of people, and there I was, a 17-year-old kid dressed up um, out of town in front of a panel of 10 or 12 adults. It was kind of scary, but it yeah. went it went smoothly, I guess. Yeah. Yes, you got in on the first shot, it sounds like, so yes. no, no issues. Um, yeah. And at that time, I know you said that you were interested in like more of an engineering type of track. Um, did you have any concept of what it meant to go to the academy and, you know, the commitment afterwards? And did you have a plan at that point? Uh, I did. Um, and so we're talking 1978. Mm -hmm. The economy was not very good. Uh, jobs were scarce. And so part of 
going to the academy meant that I'd have a guaranteed job for five years after graduation. I was good at math and I thought I'd serve my country and be an engineer and um, see how it went. Yeah, that's good. Because it's true, you know, it is some job security. It's a good track to start out with a good foundation post-college. So, yeah. So it sounds like you really uh, were very clear with why you were going there. It sounds like getting in was pretty smooth for you. If you if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would you say it would be? Challenging. Mm. What, uh, what does that mean to you in the context of the Academy? You know, I thought I would do fine and I didn't. I struggled academically. I, I didn't know how to swim and didn't know that I had to swim at the Academy. So that was a challenge. Um, it was not a challenge to be away from home. I didn't really have a homesickness, but it was sometimes very isolating to be at the Academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So let's start from the beginning then. Let's start from that day that you arrive. Uh, Tell me about that. What was that whole piece like for you, that first summer and getting into academics? Let's start there. Well, you know, it was really, um, like I said before, you don't know what you don't know. So at the time we went, the ramp that everyone marches up to was called the Bring Me Men ramp, uh, which was based on a poem about bringing me men to like solve all the the crises in the in the world. So the first day, you sort of get a sense that you're a woman invading a space for men. Mm. I heard that um, often enough that we had taken spots away from men. Uh, I heard often enough that we weren't as strong or as fast or as as talented or that we only got in because we were women or my case because I was black. So as well as, you know, the marching songs, the cadences, uh, many of them were sexist, um, you know, with double entendres. So as a woman, we were isolated, but in the same way, I think most of the women that were before me and during my time, we were so extra motivated to do well and to prove everybody wrong. Mm. Yeah, but that that is a lot to take in. So what did you do to get through all of that? Like, did you just kind of take the stance that you put your head down and just get it done and try to ignore it? I think to the best that you can, you ignore things. Uh, you do, you know, you go along to get along. You you try not to cause trouble. But I I will, to this day, say that the reason I made it through was because I had some amazing women around me uh, being supportive, uh, friends. I played varsity volleyball. Actually, I sat the bench on the varsity volleyball team, but I had coaches, I had teammates. Um, I did those things that gave me support. And mm-hmm. I had a supportive family, um, but I also knew that had I quit and I wanted to every year, uh, if I had quit, I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I would do if I went back home. I had a volleyball coach uh, put it to me that way. What would you do if you quit? Mm. And so I I did the academy in bits and pieces. It's like, can I get to Thanksgiving? Can I get to Christmas? Can I get through Hell Week? Yeah. Can I get through this exam? Can I get to the next Air Force day. And I, I never looked at the long-term picture. I don't think I would have made it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any sense of how many women were, were at the academy when you were there? Well, my class, I think we started with about 180 women and we probably graduated 140 maybe. Okay. The class of 81, 
didn't have as many as we did, and they quit um, more than the class of 80 did. So I would imagine there weren't more than 300 women there at any given time that I was there. So, and, and you feel like the fact that you were a minority group amongst all these men um, made the women closer together? I, I truly believe it. And, and because I was an athlete, um, I was in the gym at the same time or the locker rooms as, you know, members of the basketball team or the swimmers. Uh, I played uh, club rugby in the spring. So I would say I knew all of the women in my class, at least by face, and knew women in the class of 80 and 81, um, and then the women that came after me. Um, and we did. We looked after each other. We, um, the basketball women marched the volleyball women back after dinner or to dinner so that we could march back instead of being individuals running on the strips. Mm-hmm. So we did those things to um, support each other. I don't want to say it was perfect because mm-hmm. the women in the class of 80 didn't want to appear as if they were being nicer to the women. Mm-hmm. So in some instances, the women in the class of 80 were as tough, if not tougher, on the women in my class in their mm-hmm. first opportunity to truly uh, be leaders. But once we were recognized, they were the best of friends. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, so let's, let's dive in first to, to some of the highlights at the Academy. It sounds like um, sports and the relationships you formed on the teams that you played uh, was a big part of the highlights. Um, What are some other like more, most memorable moments that you've had at the Academy? I was a member of what we called God Squad. So uh, during basic cadet training, we could go to chapel um, every day, at least for 20 minutes or something. So I did that. And as an upperclassman, I tried to do that as well. Um, I was actively involved in um, the sort of ecumenical uh, council where the Protestants and the Catholics and the Jewish cadets would get together and share um, interfaith kinds of things. Um, I was able to go to a Passover Seder and learn about that. Um, so that was really helpful as a place to go where you didn't have to train anybody and nobody trained you. So it was, it was my place of peace and solace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that was it, you know, playing sports, um, chapel, um, as well as we, we would, as an upperclassman, um, you know, some of the upperclass women in the squadrons around me, we would get together, you know, and have what we called coffee clatch, um, at night, just a chance to kind of decompress and, and get together and, and hang out. Well, that sounds like fun. That must've been really bonding. It was, it was, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I also was a member of the Way of Life Committee, which mm-hmm. is a group of of African-American cadets. And so we also, um, you know, provided support to each other. Now, what was the percentage of African-American women at that time? So when I started, there were three African-American women in the class of, of 80. Uh, There was one woman in 81, but she quit before her commitment. And I graduated with seven other African-American women. Wow. Wow. What was your experience like with that? Well, you know, it's funny. People ask me that now. And I don't know if, you know, when somebody was, you know, uh, bracing you up against the wall, if it was because you were a woman or you were black, or you were a black woman, or if they had just failed an exam. So I don't know if there was overt racism. Mm. I didn't see that. Uh, But those black women that were in my class, uh, I am still friends with them today. 
Uh, we see each other at reunions. Uh, we talk on the phone. Um, we share, you know, our life's experiences. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Huh? Well, so, okay. So let's, let's go back for a minute. So you show up on that first day, uh, coming from Kansas, going to the mountains of Colorado. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're faced with all the sexism. I know that you're a minority cause you're also black. So that was part of it that you've, you've explained a little bit, but did you feel prepared otherwise? Did you feel like that you had physically prepared? Did you feel prepared for academics? How did all that go? Uh, it's, it's funny. You know, I, I said I was going to go to the academy and I was going to be an engineer, but I found out that my math skills were not up to par. Uh, mm. So I struggled academically in, you know, those freshman math classes, you know, calculus, differential equations. And so, um, I knew by the beginning of my sophomore year that engineering was not going to be my major. So um, I don't think um, my small town um, education, it was, it was good, but I don't think it was at the national average and the opportunities, um, you know, in math and science that I could have had. Um, so I struggled. Um, I, I'm not a runner. I've never been a runner. So I wish looking back that I had run more in my boots um, before I got to the academy. Um, so I wasn't prepared. Uh, mm. I wish I had known I had to swim so that maybe I would have figured out a way to get some swim lessons before I went. Mm. Um, and I think um, because I was such a good student, I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to take notes. I didn't know how to synthesize the material. And so um, I struggled. And at the time, everything was graded sort of on a curve. So um, freshman year, I was probably in the middle. But anybody behind me probably got kicked out on academics. So sophomore year was harder because mm -hmm all of those other kids that struggled were pretty much gone. Um, and so it probably wasn't until my junior year that academics got easier. And I also was taking more things in my major. So, um, you know, two degree and, and first year were easier academically. What did you end up switching your major to? So I ended up uh, majoring in management, which is sort of like management engineering. So it's not the hard math, but it's, it's things like operations research and uh, some business and marketing and um, program management kinds of things with an engineering kind of focus. And I also took uh, every law class I could as electives um, because my long-term goal was to be a lawyer at that point. Hmm. Okay. Okay. It's, it's interesting as you're talking, I'm like putting myself back in back in time and I'm thinking about how little information you probably had about the Air Force Academy before you showed up because I think we take it for granted that like the internet and like <laughs> you know we we have so much insight even when I went in 2004 there was there were resources to kind of tell you what was going on and um, but back then did you just have a pamphlet basically uh, yes, they just sent us uh, pamphlets. I had the the guys from my high school that told me about it, um, but you really didn't, you didn't know, you didn't really know what you could major in, um, and and even the communication. I mean, you probably went and had a cell phone. We stood in line on Saturdays and Sundays yeah. to use the phones in our, the pay phones in our squadrons yeah. or at the um cadet social center or sometimes you could sneak in a call down in the gym or something yeah yeah oh it's just crazy to think about it really is and then you also didn't see it yourself like you didn't go there so what a shock that must have been i i i really that's crazy <laughs> um, and, and the comparison to your friends who were at civilian colleges our life was so different yeah yeah uh, well, so what was your communication like with your 
with your family then um, while you were at the academy? I know you said there's pay phones. Was that pretty much it? And that was pretty much it. Um, my parents were divorced. Um, and so my father would write to me every week and my mother would write to me every week or so. Um, and then you would call on, on Sunday afternoons as a freshman. And I think by the time I was a sophomore, junior, I wasn't needing um, to interact that much with them. Um, but one of the blessings was I had cousins um, that were adults uh, that lived in Denver. And if we played a Denver-based school in volleyball, they would come to our matches. And so I got to see those cousins uh, pretty regularly. Oh, that must have been nice for sure. Yes, it was very nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, were there any other major highlights that you want to talk about from your time at the Academy? I have to say when I finally passed freshman swimming, yeah. you know, A, it was a relief and B, it meant my schedule freed up so I didn't have to use my free academic periods to swim. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really, it, it was awesome to, to know that I didn't give up. Uh, mm -hmm. Plus, it was a graduation requirement, and I knew I had to do it. So yeah. um, I remember that day. I remember um, the officer who was our swim uh, instructor and, you know, getting my distance and getting out of the pool and saluting smartly and telling him that I was done. Oh, that must yeah. have been an amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. You know, it, it, and it's, it's, but to be honest, um, I don't have any great highlights of that time there. And if I knew now what I, you know, if I knew then what I know now, um, I would have made other choices. Hmm. So tell me more about that. Um, I, you know, like I said, I struggled. Uh, I got into some trouble my first year. Uh, my AOC, um, did not uh, like me. Uh, he wrote me up. I faced an academy board, uh, aptitude board. I didn't graduate on time. I was punished by having to stay an extra 10 weeks over the summer. So I had a really bad experience mm -hmm. and then had to go off and do my military commitment. Um, still mad about mm. what I thought was really unfair. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a challenge in that I faced the board, they decided not to disenroll me and said that we need to know that you have the aptitude to be an officer in the Air Force. But during those, you know, nine or 10 weeks in the summer, I got no training, I got no rehabilitation. I spent one uh, period giving tours of the academy to VOP, VIPs out of the soup's office. I spent one period uh, being a basic cadet training cadre, and I didn't get any sort of remediation or rehabilitation. So I looked at it as punishment um, because mm. I think that's what it was. That's interesting. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I've never heard of this. So, so aptitude, they, they brought you up on, on aptitude? Yes. So we have like, um, you know, you have your GPA, your military yeah. uh, performance GPA, you know, how well you march, how well you keep your room clean and yeah. those sorts of things. So my AOC, which is the air officer commanding the, you know, major uh, our captain that's in charge of cadet squadron gave me a zero. And because he gave me a zero, I had to face an aptitude board. Wow. So um, I show up in the commandant's office. Uh, there's a table of eight to 10, um, oh, fours, oh, fives, maybe an oh, six. Um, they ask me a bunch of questions. I answer them the best I can. Um, they look at the record. And they decide whether you have the aptitude for commissioning. Mm -hmm. And they said, you can't graduate with your class and you have to do these things over the summer. 
Did they give you any explanation? I, I ran into one of those officers during that summer and uh, I recognized him and he said, you know, cadet, can I talk with you? And of course you say, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And he said, you talked too much during the board. You should have just said, yes, sir. No, sir. No excuse. You didn't want to be a navigator, even though you were qualified to be a navigator that upset some members of the board who were rated officers. You should have just said very little. And wow. that's all I really know about that. Wow. Wow. Well, I can definitely see why that would, you know, turn you a bit sour on having to serve and just the rest of your time at the academy, especially there's no explanation. Um, was your, your last year there pretty much just put your head down and try to get through to the end? Yes. It, you know, we had a, a, a saying, um, you can, you can make it harder, but you can't make it longer. Uh, and for me, they made it longer and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was not a fun year. I can only imagine how that must have felt. I, I can't even imagine. I can't. Um, so did that, that leave a really kind of bad taste in your mouth as you left the school? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whew, well, okay. Before we, before we get into post-graduation, I want to hear if there were any other major, uh, like, low lights or struggles at the academy because now we've talked like that's a big one right there uh, to end on that note for sure um but you know you've talked a little bit about the the sexism that you experienced uh was there any other low light that you wanted to point out from your time at the academy well i think any any female cadet woman cadet knew someone who was sexually assaulted um, and so I don't really, it, it didn't happen to me, but it happened to friends of mine. So we were always aware we, we had a, um, what we called a creeper who would, uh, show up in the women's, uh, latrines while people were taking showers on Saturday morning. And so we got sort of the warning to look out for him and he was caught and because somebody recognized him, um, so that was a scary time. Um, but there also were, um, you know, I think the, the other really worst time for me was when I was a junior, I had to sit on a, another cadet's honor board. Um, she was one of my classmates and um, she was found guilty of tolerating um, that her roommate had cheated and she was uh, disenrolled. Whereas the classmate that cheated, I guess, told on herself soon enough. So she got honor probation, whereas my classmate got uh, disenrolled. Oh my goodness. Ugh. How did that impact you? How did you feel about that? Well, it was just hard. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where you do your duty. Um, they ask you to sit on the honor board. You listen to the, you know, testimony and, and you, you vote. And um, it was really hard. Um, yeah. But it's supposed to be a cadet-run honor system. So um, we, we did it. We did what we were asked to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, with, with all this being said, what were some of like the key, the key lessons that you feel you took away from the Academy? That nothing is hard that I can do um, anything. I really set my mind to that. Um, if you work hard, uh, you can make it happen. I also took the lesson that you 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 don't have to do it all by yourself that you have friends you have uh, classmates you have teammates um that there are people out there that will help you 
Um, yeah. I think those are the lessons as well as um, I got a great education. Um, you know, the, the things I studied, you know, we had such a, at the time, a really broad uh, core curriculum from, you know, the sciences, the maths, the philosophy. Uh, I studied the law. I read a few novels. Uh, it really was a great broad based education. And it was the foundation for everything that came after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So I know you switched your major or you, you chose a different major than you originally thought to more management. And you were mm-hmm. excited that you took some law classes. It sounds like you had law in, your, in the back of your mind somewhere as something you want to do eventually. Um, but as you approached graduation, what was the plan with this management degree? So I um, was able to be one of five people in my class that got to be acquisition officers. So we, um, we sort of had a, um, you know, pick, pick your career field thing. And there were five of us that got to have that uh, career field. And then we, some of us were interviewed to get an assignment um, to special projects. Uh, I didn't get that particular job, but I got a job at uh, an Air Force plant representative office in Southern California. So I got to go where I wanted to go and do work as an acquisition officer. And uh, it was what I thought would help me once if I was able to be a lawyer later on. And it did. It was it was a good career field choice. So, so explain a little bit more about that. What exactly do you do uh, when you're an acquisition officer? Um, so um, we had um, training. So um, I think it was uh, about three months of, of training to learn about the, the defense acquisition uh, regulation and the federal acquisition regulation. And it's really... Uh, mostly a career field where you're interacting with civilians, um, you know, GS, uh, everyone from fives to 13s or 14s. And I worked at uh, the plant office of TRW, which was a, um, a satellite manufacturer. And so I managed the contractual relationship between the program office and the contractor. Uh, mm-hmm. So a little bit of program management and a lot of you know, managing the, the contractual relationship. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And you said that you enjoyed that time. I did. I did. Okay. Okay. And now that was your first position after this kind of uh, tough ending at the academy. Um, so how was that transition emotionally for you? Oh, it was awesome because I was going to the beach. Uh, I was <laughs> yeah. in Southern Cal. Uh, my, um, you know, my mentor, my academic advisor, she and her family were, um, in Southern Cal as well. Uh, I had a couple really close academy classmates that were stationed at Space Division and I was really living, you know, the, the, the good life. You know, I, I had a sports car. I, I had some money. I had friends and we lived blocks from the beach. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a good spot to be right after an academy for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how long were you there? So I was at um, the AFPRO for about three years. Okay. And while you were there, was this idea of eventually going to law school kind of still lingering in the back of your mind? Um, not so much. I knew that I wouldn't get selected to be a JAG. Uh, because my career was not, you know, one of the stellar ones and uh, not showing up when most academy grads show up to their first assignment uh, meant that I was off schedule for promotions and everything. So I just thought I would be, you know, a, a, a good lieutenant and, and do my job. Interesting. So because you were delayed from graduating, you were kind of that played out for the rest of your career? Yes. Wow. How do you feel which, about what, that? Which wasn't much longer after that. Um, okay. 
So, um, but it was okay because I still had this sour taste for the Air Force. So it was, you know, I lost any ambition to do 20. Uh, I lost any, um, any desire to make it my life's work. You know, I, I did my job. I did it uh, to the best of my ability. I, I volunteered to do the things you're supposed to do. I did all of my service schools by correspondence. Um, but I knew then it would not be, um, you know, more than my minimal commitment. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but it sounds like at least, um, that at least you did enjoy what you were doing during that time when you were there. Yeah, I did. I, I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the environment. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how long did you end up staying in then? I ended up getting out um, a little bit before the typical five-year commitment um, because I had a glitch in, in my record and I didn't get promoted uh, to captain on schedule. And so I got the option of staying in and trying to get promoted after the zone or staying in just a little bit longer and getting out. And so I chose to get out. Mm -hmm. um, so I got out. My last day in the Air Force was Halloween, uh, 1986. Um, and I went back to work at TRW um, um, a month after a month of leave and uh, started in sort of the, the aerospace um, industry, uh, telecommunications industry. So, so TRW is, a, it's the same place you worked when you were, you know, in the yes. service. Yeah, okay. it was, it was, it was, uh, the, um, the, my first assignment, my second assignment was, uh, at Kirtland Air Force Base and, uh, uh, at the weapons lab. And so I moved back to the beach and, uh, went back on the other side, uh, working as the, for the contractor, uh, mostly on programs that were Air Force or Navy programs. Mm. And how did you enjoy that transition? Uh, it was awesome because once again, I was uh, th this non-swimmer. I'm back <laughs> at the beach, yeah. uh, you know, uh, same sort of set of friends. Um, it, 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 was a, it was a great assignment. And it wasn't until I decided that I needed to get some sort of advanced degree to advance at TRW that um, I really was looking, you know, fast forwarding. Um, I was yeah. really just doing my job and having a great time. And, and it sounds like your experience in the, well, tell me, was your experience in the military itself any more positive than it was at the academy? Um, I, I think so. I, I had good, uh, I had a, a good commander in both places. Um, the work was work that I knew how to do. And I think I was treated fairly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you enjoyed this company because you ended up going back there. I did. And uh, I, you know, it, it, it's so different to be you know, 26, 27 years old with four or five years of military experience and that leadership and education put me in a place that my peers were five to 10 years older than me and had done, you know, it took them longer to move up to where I entered. So I was, I was on the fast track at, yeah. at, at TRW. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's definitely, that is one of the perks of going to an academy and having that solid foundation with the military. Um, it does help you advance a little quicker. Um, well, all right. So you, you alluded to the fact that at some point while you were at TRW, you realized that, Hey, you know, I probably should get an advanced degree to move up. So when did that happen in your career trajectory? So um, we're talking probably 1989, and I think I need to get an MBA. And I looked at programs, 
And there was one that was really intriguing to me that was in Spain. And the first year classes would be taught in English. And the second year, the classes would be taught in Spanish. And so you'd have a year to, to get fluent. And it was really intriguing to think about a two years master's program like that. And then I thought, if I'm willing to give up two years to get an advanced degree, I should go ahead and just apply to law school. And I, I did. And I started law school in the fall of, of 1990 and, and went full time. I got a scholarship in Notre Dame. And so it made it um, that much easier to do. Well, yeah. I mean, and Notre Dame is an incredible school. Uh, okay. So then, so... So that means that you transitioned from TRW, uh, working full-time in California, to mm-hmm. Indiana, yes. Notre Dame, um, full-time. Another huge transition. Uh, so what, yes. was, what was that like? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, South Bend is a small little, little town. I thought it'd be, you know, an hour and a half from Chicago. Um, but I seldom went to Chicago. Uh, you kind of find your, your, your people, you find your groove there in South Bend. And I had some great friends, but I was also able to spend that second year of law school um, in London. Um, Notre Dame is one of the few uh, law schools that lets you study abroad a full academic year. So I went to London that year and then came back and finished my third year back in South Bend. Wow. Well, and so, well, what was that experience like in law school full-time? Because your only reference for a college experience was the academy. And obviously this is very different um, going full-time. What was that experience like for you? You know, it was, it was wonderful. I call my three years at Notre Dame the best consecutive three years of my life. Mm. Um, law school was easy compared to the academy because you just had to go to class. Yeah. You didn't have to march. You didn't have to play sports. You didn't have to, to uh, have parades. You just went to school. So I had a regular kind of life. Uh, Notre Dame's law schools on the same campus as the undergrads. And so you have that experience of, you know, sitting under a tree, talking to your friends, uh, discussing um, the worries of the day. Or we had a group that would skip uh, tax class once a week and we played golf uh, on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. It was a really nice three years of life, as well as the year in London. I was um, the assistant rector for the undergraduate program. And so I would go with those undergrads to their cultural things. So I probably saw, you know, 20 plays or musicals in London, uh, did sightseeing to, you know, um, all of the little cultural references around London. I spent a week in Russia uh, as a tourist right after the wall came down. So it, it was a great, it was a great experience. And did you, what was the comparison between the the kind of blatant sexism you experienced at the Air Force Academy being a minority um, versus this experience at Notre Dame? Um, what I found at Notre Dame was more racism. I had, uh, while I was a first-year student, had a third-year student look me in the face and tell me to my face that, I shouldn't be there because I couldn't be as smart as he was because I was black. Um, Mm. I don't remember it very well because I think I saw red and I kind of lost my mind. And my classmates tell me they had to grab me from going across the table at him. Mm. Um, And I knew that I was well qualified. I'd had um, great um, law school admissions test scores. And um, I had gone to the United States Air Force Academy. So I knew I had earned my spot there and earned my scholarship. Um, 
So those were the sorts of things um, that Notre Dame was where it was challenging. But I was 30 as opposed to 18. And so I was much better prepared to deal with the racism. Mm. Um, There were only five uh, Black students out of 175 in my law school class. Uh, But I was... I was better prepared, uh, but we also had a supportive community. We had a Black Law Students Association, but I also worked well with my, my white classmates. So it it was, I think, ma- maturity uh, made all the difference in in, in that case mm. for me. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like overall, um, you found your groove, you found your people there, you found your niche. And you, like you said, it was, it ended up being some of the best years of your life. So that's positive, right? Yeah. Very positive. Um, You know, I I love me some Notre Dame and I enjoyed Notre Dame football uh, during that era. And uh, I'm still really good friends with uh, a few of my classmates and uh, professors that, um, challenged me there. Mm. And so the challenge of Notre Dame was intellectual. And I think I rose to it. Uh, whereas the, the challenge um, at the academy was way different. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So during your time uh, at Notre Dame, what was the goal? I know, obviously, law you're graduating with a law degree, but were you more specific than that and clear what you wanted to do next? Um, I thought I would be a public defender. I thought I would go and use the law to affect change and to help people. Um, but I did an externship as a public defender. So we're sort of supervised by, by real lawyers. And I realized that I didn't like... Um, the pace of that work. And so um, I sold out and went to a big law firm where I got paid a bunch of money um, to work on things that at the end of the day were just uh, conflicts between uh, big corporation and and big corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And how, how did that go? Uh, it, it was good for a while. And uh, then I wanted to get back into aerospace and technology. So I got a job uh, in-house at Motorola uh, in Phoenix. And um, in-house lawyers don't make as much as, as lawyers in law firms, but the work is more predictable and more conducive for sort of a regular kind of life, um, mm. which I found that to be better for me. Yeah, yeah. So did you enjoy that work? I did. I I really, I worked on the Iridium program for the most part, which is a telecommunications satellite. Uh, I did that for a few years. And then I went to Verizon, um, you know, also, um, you know, telecommunications work. And um, I liked being an in-house lawyer. So, and that's where you ended up staying for a while in Phoenix, no? I did. I did. And then I made a choice um, for my daughter's education um, that I thought the schools um, in Phoenix weren't what I wanted. I wanted her to to get the benefit of a Jesuit education. And there was a school in Denver um, that had uh, Jesuit education for both boys and girls. And so we moved and I had family in Denver. Um, And so we were there for four years. And now she's in college, and I decided to to move back to Phoenix. So when did when did you have her? When when did that so, come? In? Mm-hmm. So she was born in two thousand and one. Okay, so that was. And I'm a I'm a single parent by choice. Okay, and so so you had her when you were in Phoenix when you were yes. working at. Mm, Motorola. Uh, Motorola. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then you went to Denver recently, right? For four years. And now you're back in Phoenix. Correct. Got it. Okay. Okay. 
So, so what are you doing now? So now um, I had the, the luxury of uh, not actively practicing law. Um, so I uh, signed up to do a, a program about running for office called Emerge, and Emerge trains uh, Democratic women how to run for office. Um, I don't um, think I'm the best person to be a candidate, but it got me more politically active. And then one of my Emerge uh, colleagues told me about a program called the Veteran Organizing Institute and another one called the Truman National Security Project. So I joined uh, Truman and then I went to VOI and I, I sort of reclaimed my veteran status. Um, I had only ever just used the VA uh, loan and got my 10% discount at Lowe's and Home Depot. And I really didn't own that veteran identity. I had, mm. I had made my peace with the Academy um, probably 20 years ago. And I always go back for reunions and football games and, and I'm over it. Uh, but I really didn't recognize the power of being a veteran and advocating for things that I care about. Mm. And so through Truman National Security Project, and uh, a group called Common Defense, uh, I really reclaimed that. And so now I consult part-time with Common Defense and we do advocacy, uh, we organize uh, veterans on issues such as ending the forever war. Uh, we have a campaign right now called No War on Our Streets, which is trying to get that surplus military weapons um, from being given to police departments and police departments using it uh, against citizens. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm active, um, you know, advocating. So I'm using, I think the passion um, mm -hmm. that I had about using the law for good, um, finally now in, um, you know, advocating for change. Ah, uh, nice. So it came full circle a little bit then for it you. It really did. It really yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then what's next for you? Well, it's funny you should ask. Um, I, I never say never. <laughs> I had sworn I would never again take a class for credit. I was done with studying, but I, I had an opportunity to apply to a master's program. It's a master's program in public leadership um, at the University of San Francisco. Um, but it's a hybrid program. Most of it is just online. Um, you know, I think every eight weeks we're supposed to go to San Francisco uh, for a weekend seminar kind of thing. That program starts next month. I'm going to do the accelerated one-year program. And then I think at the end of it, I will be prepared, I hope, to be like the executive director of a public interest sort of organization. I don't know which one that will be, uh, but I'm looking forward to uh, learning how to be a public leader. Hmm. Nice. I love it. I love how you just roll through and like, you know, you feel out what needs to be next and uh, you're open to it. It's good. Yeah. yeah. It just sort of happened. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it works. You know, my daughter will be in college. Um, yeah. I'll be here um, working kind of part time. Um, so I have the the space, and, and I think, you know, if nothing else, the academy prepares you to be a lifelong learner and mm -hmm. to acknowledge that, you know, uh, you don't know it all, uh, but you can learn it. And yeah. so I think it kind of fits who I hope to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly excited to see what you do next. It sounds like you've got some big, big plans brewing, at least. Uh, so you know, it'll be exciting to see where you go next after this. Um, thank you. So, so now, uh, you know, all this time later, uh, how do you feel about your decision to attend a federal service academy? Um, 
I tell people it was the best mistake of my life. Mm. It, it, it clearly was a mistake for me, but it laid the foundation for everything I've done since. It really has prepared me for everything. Um, I think I'm more determined. Um, you know, something about uh, grit and persistence, the ability to be uncomfortable. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I did it. I, I wouldn't do it again. And I still have those recurring nightmares every now and again that, you know, somehow something messes up and you have to go back there. Um, mm. And so I'm, I'm glad for it. And um, academically, I, I wouldn't have gotten that sort of education anyplace else. And the friendships that I made are lifelong. Uh, they, they really are. I, I just got an email from a, from a guy who was in my basic cadet squadron, um, just catching up. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't regret it. Um, and, and I grew from that whole experience and, and I, and I volunteer, you know, when I was living in Denver, I would go down to the Academy and volunteer with, with the honor code program or to uh, help um you know, women uh, who had been sexually assaulted. We have a, a group called Zoomies Against Sexual Assault. Uh, so we try to advocate to make it better um, um, for cadets. And um, the Wave Life Committee, we, we uh, try to mentor uh, cadets. Um, so it, it, it wasn't easy for me. And so I want to make it better for those that come behind. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like, like you said before that, you know, time and space, you've, you've made your peace with the Academy, even though there's definitely, there were definitely some really rough, rough things that you had to overcome while you were there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, Kate, uh, do you have any parting words for listeners or perhaps a key message to your fellow service academy sisters? I think we all need to, to give back for what the academy gave for us and to help those that came after, whether it's, you know, mentoring a cadet, whether it's serving on a uh, academy, a congressperson's uh, selection panel, uh, cadets love it when they see grads uh, giving back. So um, that's what I would encourage people to do is to, to find a way uh, to go back and, and lift other people up. Mm. I love it. And finally, on a, on a positive light note, uh, what is one random fun fact that you can share with listeners? The cow's eyeball, which they always challenge a woman to eat during the survival training, it wasn't that bad. I never heard of this before. <laughs> yes, we we have a survival training thing, and they take us out into um, the the forest, and they kill a cow, and we learn how to butcher a cow, and we learn how to turn the meat into jerky for survival purposes, and they always challenge uh, the women, um, thinking we'd be too squeamish. Uh, to eat the cow's eyeball. Uh, so, you know, sort of a badge of courage. Uh, it wasn't that bad. So you did it, huh? I did it. Oh. Um, there were two <laughs> women, there were two women from Kansas in the classes above me. And they made sure that I knew that Kansas women were tough and we could do it. Oh my goodness. I just learned so much because we do not do that at the Merchant Marine Academy at all. And then the fact that you, you, you did it. <laughs> you don't do like the survival. Oh, I guess you probably do some sort of water survival yeah. course or something. Yeah. Ours yeah. was sort of, you know, what would happen if you had to parachute into enemy territory? How would you survive? Ooh. Oh, and you ate the eyeball. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, um, back in the day. Back in when the dinosaurs uh, roam the terrazzo. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, well, that is a really fun note to end on for sure. Um, so before we go, where can people reach you, Kate? You can find me on Twitter 
at um, awesome underscore K-8-L or on LinkedIn, Catherine L. Smith. Perfect. And I'll put those links in the show notes so that people can reach you. Okay. Sounds great. All right, Kate. It was great speaking with you. Thank you for sharing your story with the rest of the Service Academy sorority. Thank you, Victoria. Take good care. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.